If I don't know you, my name is John, and I'm the lead pastor here at this church. If you've been visiting with us recently, then maybe you haven't seen much of me because my wife and I were away on sabbatical for a month up in Vermont and Maine, and we had a, a really good time, my wife and I and Kai, and we had a, just a really special time together. And I just want to continue to thank you all for giving us that opportunity. Um, special thanks to uh, people I work with here at the church uh, for picking up the slack and doing what needed to be done. Uh, to give us that opportunity to go, and thank you for this church for really encouraging rest um, among our pastors. And, and I encourage you all to rest if, as much as you can. Find some space to get away. Take those vacations if you have them. Um, fight for that stuff. Ask for it if you don't have it, um, and really try to, to take some time to rest because it's really important, I think, for us to refocus, recalibrate, and, and really be reinvigorated for this uh, life that we're all trying to live here. If we're going to be people of love, if we're going to be people who are continuing to follow Jesus, we've got to take time to get away. Even Jesus did that. Uh, he took time to get away over and over and over again uh, throughout the Gospels. This morning, I'm, I'm excited to share a message that's been on my heart for the last couple of months, and um, this is not necessarily connected to what came before us, and it won't necessarily be connected to the sermons that will come after it. Um, but on this holiday weekend, I'm, I'm taking some liberties to preach something that has been on my heart, and hopefully it will speak to you all as well. I'm going to preach from Matthew chapter 11. So we still are in Matthew, so that's good, but we're going backwards to Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to be in verses 16 through 19. And I'm going to read it twice, and I want you all to really focus in on what's being said here. Remember, this is Jesus who is speaking in these words. And he's kind of speaking to the folks who are around him. And, and I'll read it once, and then I'll read it one more time. He says, to what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he, is a he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say here is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. I'll read it one more time. Jesus says, to what can I compare this generation they're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say here is a glutton and a drunkard. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. You know, I've been reflecting on this passage for the past couple of months, and I can't get it out of my head. It's, it just keeps coming back to me over and over and over again. I don't know if you all have that experience where you hear something and learn something. It just keeps coming back to you. It's been speaking to me in a way, calling out to me, challenging me, inviting me. And it's really become almost like a paradigm for me, a model, an example for how I want to live in this world. Let me give you the backstory. So I went on a retreat to the gorge, to Red River Gorge, back in May with some friends. I told you about this a couple of months ago. Uh, one of the guys I went with, Tommy, he preached a sermon here um, at the end of May on Pentecost. 
And I, I went to the gorge with these men, and, and we did one thing together. We did a Lectio Divina exercise. Have you ever done Lectio Divina before? It's, it's not really about... Lectio Divina is a way of encountering Scripture. And it's what I would call a spiritual hearing of the text. It's not so much about Bible study. Bible study, as you know, we, we care about that here. We get into the Bible in that kind of way. But Lectio Divina is more about just opening yourself up to what God's Spirit may say to you through hearing the text read aloud. And so we did a Lectio Divina exercise where usually in Lectio Divina you're going to read the text aloud multiple times and you're going to just pay attention to what you hear. And so we read it four times aloud together as we sat in this beautiful campsite um, the first afternoon we gathered together. And we took turns sharing at the end of that what we were hearing through the text, through the verses that we were reading. And we read this particular text together. And verse 17 really captured my imagination. It says, we played the pipe for you. These are the children speaking. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, which is a sad song, and you did not mourn. Now, one reason these verses popped to my head is because I've heard, I'd heard them before in a song. Um, there was a band I used to get into called Me Without You. Does anybody know this band? I knew Thad would be shaking his head. Uh, it's a, it, there's a song called Torches Together by Me Without You. Look it up. It's a great song. But at the end of the song, they actually say these words aloud. And I remember it, but I never really understood what he was talking about when he would say these words in this song. And so I'd heard them before, but they hit me in a unique way um, at the gorge on that particular day. And specifically, what I heard was this. You did not dance, and you did not mourn. Now, when I heard those lines, I immediately thought of myself. For one, for one, because I usually don't dance, you know, when the opportunity arises. Some of y'all I know are with me on that. But when I heard these verses, I couldn't help but thinking of myself. And it was kind of hard, actually, to hear these verses. I thought of all the times in my life when people were joyfully dancing, whether it be at a concert or at a a wedding reception or some other gathering, and I'm seeing everybody joyfully dancing, and what am I doing? I'm standing on the sidelines, sitting there watching it all happen, failing to experience the joy that the others out there were freely sharing through their dancing and their laughter and their movement. I did not dance. When I heard these verses, I also thought of all the times in my life when people were mourning and grieving and suffering and I couldn't enter into that pain with them. When people shed tears and I didn't feel much of anything. When people were hurting and I turned away. I did not mourn. Time and time again, just to be honest with you all, throughout my life, I found myself on the sidelines. Anybody connect with me on this? Failing to experience the fullness of life. The joy and the dancing, but also the crying in the morning. And then all the things that come in between. And I felt in that moment at that campsite at the gorge, I felt the Spirit really inviting me, calling out to me to let go and to live, to live more fully. These verses served as an invitation for me to experience the fullness of life, to let go of the fear and take the risk to experience both the joy 
and the pain. As I find in my own life, it feels risky to experience joy and pain. Because if I experience the joy, I'm afraid it's going to leave too quickly or it's not trustworthy. And if I experience the pain, I don't know if I want to handle that. But I felt the Spirit leading me to, to try to do a little more dancing and a little more mourning. We began our retreat before we did this exercise asking these two questions. And um, it's, was pretty, it was a, a big way to start our retreat. This was, I didn't know some of these guys, and this is the first thing we asked. But the first was, when was the last time you really cried? And when was the last time you lost yourself in laughter and dancing? So I'm asking you all that question just to think about. When was the last time you really cried? And when was the last time you lost yourself in laughter or dancing? I wonder if this parable about these children could be an invitation to you as well to experience the fullness that life has for us. So this was my spiritual hearing of the text through Lectio Divina. But this past week, I've spent some time actually studying the text, which is a little bit different. I got out commentaries. I'm reading them. I'm, I'm reflecting on the details of the passage and really thinking in depth about what these verses might have meant in that moment when they originally were said. And I find I think that they line up with my spiritual hearing, which is good. But I want to give you a little bit more meat to what's going on here. As I've studied this passage this week, I've seen that there's actually quite a bit of disagreement about what is actually being said in this little parable. What Jesus is doing here, he's, he's sharing a parable. And it's a very short one. But he's sharing a parable about these children in the marketplace to try to make a point. All right? Jesus did this all the time. Now, people, they disagree about this parable, and particularly who the children are supposed to be in this story. Because usually a parable isn't just about what the parable says. It's about something else at the same time. So who are the children? Jesus is talking to all these folks in his generation. And he's critiquing them. He's saying, y'all aren't living the right way. And how can I, how can I talk about it in a way that's going to make sense to you? So he says, to what can I compare this current generation? We do that now. We're like, this current generation has lost its mind, you know? And, and Jesus is looking at these folks and he's like, I need to say something to you and how can I make this plain? How can I provoke you into thinking about the way you're living? And so, who is he comparing the current generation to is the question. Is he comparing the current generation, his generation, to the children? Or is he comparing it to the folks who were refusing to listen to the children, when the children were singing their songs and, and playing their instruments. And if you, depending on which path you go down, you interpret this parable very, very differently. So, say some people believe that Jesus is comparing his current generation to the children who are playing their songs. And so in this view, Jesus is portraying these children in a negative light in the story. He's saying, basically, how can I talk about my current generation? Well, y'all are like kids who are playing this music and playing the songs, and you're complaining because nobody's dancing to it, and nobody's singing along with you, right? It's like y'all are spoiled, and y'all are complaining, and y'all just want everybody to follow your lead, and, and you're mad because people aren't doing what you want them to. That's, that's one way to think about this, right? And so if you're thinking of it this way, maybe the lesson could be like, Jesus isn't going to always just dance to your song, right? 
And we do that, right? We want Jesus to follow our lead. If we're dancing, we're like, no, you're following me. You know, I'm going to lead us. And Jesus is like, no, you're actually supposed to follow me. I'm going to lead you. And, and so maybe that could be the lesson if you go that direction, that you need to get in line with Jesus and follow his lead and stop complaining that he's not following you. But another option, and this is the one I prefer, is that Jesus is comparing the current generation not to the children playing the music, but to all the others who aren't responding to the children who are playing their music. With this interpretation, Jesus would be calling out the people for not dancing and not mourning when the children are playing their songs. And I like this interpretation better, and part, part of it's for a very simple reason. It's because when I read through the Gospels, Jesus talks about children a lot. He brings up children many times throughout the Gospels. And almost every time, I honestly, on the to- I didn't do a deep dive on this, but I can't think of an example off the top of my head where Jesus talks about children in a negative way. Jesus is always holding children up, it seems, as an example for us to follow. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Jesus said if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you need to enter the kingdom of God like children. And so I believe, you know, Matthew, I'll tell you, in Matthew 18.3, in the same gospel, just a few verse, chapters later, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so it's hard for me to accept that Jesus would tell a parable trying to cr- criticize the current generation and use children as his example. Because Jesus, time and time again, held children up as an example for us to follow, not as some, something to criticize. So in my reading of this parable, it's the children that the one, are the ones doing the right thing by singing their sad songs and playing their instruments. But the people refusing to dance and mourn alongside of them are the ones who are not doing the right thing. So let's be clear. Just to be clear that what I'm saying is that Jesus' generation, who he was calling out, were refusing to dance when the children played their flutes and refusing to mourn when the children were singing their sad songs. You know, one cool thing about parables is that they they almost always mean more than one thing. And so it can be about children, and it can also be about something else. And so the simple reading of this parable is that the children are putting their joys and sorrows out there, and no one is responding. And that's not a good thing. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But there's another reading to this text as well. In the verses just before this, Jesus was just talking about John the Baptist and how John the Baptist had been rejected by most people. A lot of people went out to the wilderness to hear John's message, but it was mostly poor folks up in rural Galilee. The people in the cities didn't want much to do with him. And and John the Baptist was by and large rejected and, and not liked too much. And he was actually killed because of the message that he was putting out there. So he'd just been talking about how John the Baptist was rejected, and Jesus himself also experienced so much rejection. And it's likely that Jesus was comparing himself and John the Baptist to the children in this story. In a sense, Jesus and John the Baptist were putting their songs out there. If you think of the messages that they were preaching and teaching and the things they were doing, think of it like they're putting their song out into the world. 
They're inviting people to wake up, to pay attention, to find God in the midst of this violent and broken world. They were putting their songs out there in a sense. Their messages of repentance and love and hope. And people weren't really paying all that much attention. And by and large, people were rejecting and certainly not responding to the message they're putting out there. If you think of John the Baptist, his song that he put out there, or his message, it sounded more like a dirge or a sad song. If you read John the Baptist and, and his preaching and his, his words, they were, they were pretty hard to hear. He was challenging people to repent and to lament and to grieve and to mourn. John's message was a little bit darker. It's not one you're probably just going to want to dance to, right? This is one of those songs that's going to get you in your feelings and make you feel kind of bad, right? But it was important to hear. And we need to hear those types of messages. Yet most people refused to listen and would not go down that road with John. Jesus' song sounded more like the pipe or the flute in this parable. A song that, that you might want to dance to, right? Because Jesus came in, you know, it talks about John refused to drink and he was, lived this very intense life. Jesus came in celebrating, going to weddings, having parties, reaching out to all these folks, healing people, preaching on love and celebration. Yet people also refused to listen to him and definitely weren't dancing to Jesus' song. And so Jesus said to those who refused to listen to him and John the Baptist, let me tell you what you're like. There are children out in the marketplace and they're playing their music and they're singing their songs and you're refusing to dance and mourn along with them. And then he said, you know, John the Baptist, he came fasting. He refused to drink and he was, you know, living this intense and extreme life of holiness. Yet you didn't like that and you rejected him. And then he spoke about himself and said, the Son of Man came celebrating and feasting and healing and doing all the things, and you called me a drunkard, and you got mad about who I hung out with, and you didn't accept me either. You know, Jesus was brilliant when he taught. This little parable that's so short about children is also about the way Jesus and John the Baptist were rejected and ignored even as they were inviting people into a way of life that was good and beautiful. But I believe the parable is also, like we said, about children and the way children are often rejected and ignored, even as they invite us into a way of living that is good and beautiful, if we could only pay attention. The children were in the marketplaces playing their songs, and it says that the others were not listening, and no one was responding. The others maybe. You know, you think about a marketplace, this is where people are going to try to make their living, you know? They're, they're, they're worried about their business, their hustle for money, their, their image, their stress, all these things that maybe are even important. Yet perhaps they were so wrapped up they didn't even notice that the kids are playing this beautiful song and that some of the other kids were singing the sad songs and they weren't able to engage with it and didn't even notice it. On the, on the retreat I went on in May, one of my friends pointed out that he believes our society is much like the society and the generation that Jesus was criticizing. That the children are crying out to us and we're not listening very well. Our children are asking us to pay attention to their pain, to their fear, to their sorrow. But we aren't often listening and we don't even hear the dirge that they're singing. 
Our children are overflowing with joy and creativity and laughter and imagination. And they're always inviting us to dance with them, to laugh with them, to celebrate with them. Yet sometimes we're not even hearing them play their flutes. They're even inviting us to live fully, to experience joy and sadness and happiness and excitement and pain and grief. But sometimes we're too busy wrapped up in our stress that we fail to follow their lead. I believe that probably all of us, potentially in this room, will have opportunities even this week to dance with children, to experience joy and wonder when playing games, listening to a song, painting a picture, telling a joke, eating a meal with them, going down a slide. Our kids are going to rejoice, and they are certainly going to dance, and they will celebrate. But I think the question is, are we going to see them, and are we going to join? We also have an opportunity to mourn alongside our children because they're going to experience sadness. They're going to share sometimes hard stories with us that we wish weren't true. They will suffer loss. They will get overwhelmed. They will get scared. They will get stressed out. And the question is, will we see them? and Will we join them in their pain, showing compassion and empathy and love? You know, sometimes I feel like I'm only living halfway. I don't know if y'all ever feel like that, that I'm not living fully. And Jesus was brilliant because Jesus had, he had eyes that could see through the illusions. And there's so many illusions around us, tricking us into believing things that really aren't true. And Jesus could see through it all. And Jesus saw something that a lot of people didn't see. Jesus saw the children, and he saw the way they experienced all of life. He didn't see children and think that they just need to grow up and be more mature and act like us, right? No, Jesus saw them as people who actually had something to teach us and to show us and maybe had somewhat of a key to help us unlock some of the things that we're struggling to figure out in our lives and in our world. He could see through that, and we would do ourselves a favor to pay attention to what Jesus says. He knew they had something to teach us and to show us and to reveal to us. And really, since the beginning of time, I believe children have been inviting us to experience life and to know God, to feel all the feelings, to be sad, to be happy, to cry and to dance. And the children might just be the ones inviting us to live more fully and to experience the fullness of life and to embrace a big God who is with us through all of it. On our sabbatical, uh, Kai, he... He's 19 months old, and he's just full of life and energy. He's in the nursery right now. Um, but he developed a habit uh, while we were on our sabbatical. And when he was doing something he loved or that made him happy, he would just, out of the blue, just say, thank you. And like, I mean, he did it over and over. He's, he's brought it back home with him, and he continues to do it. He'd look out the car window and just see water because he's obsessed with water now. And he would see the ocean, or he'd see a stream, and he'd say, thank you. He'd hear a song he likes, and he'd say, thank you. He would also just erupt in just spontaneous dance when he would feel joy. And it was contagious for me and Laura. And, and even if we were not feeling too great or if we were grumpy or whatever, like we would feel joy when we were seeing him express his joy with no insecurity and no inhibition. He's just letting it out. And, and ultimately, what a sign of what gratitude truly is, right? It's like you experience something beautiful and you just, you just say thank you. I'm just so grateful for this. Now, of course, Kai also was free and felt complete freedom to scream and cry if he was upset. Um, if he got scared or sad, 
He would run to us and grab a hold of us. If he heard a loud noise, he would tell us about it and he would come and want to be held. And he did that as well. And he felt complete freedom to do that as well and to experience that part of life. At Embrace, you know, we talk a lot about living in that tension between gratitude and lament or between praise and protest or between joy and sorrow. And our children really do get this. They feel it all. And Jesus, I believe, is challenging us to follow their lead. And I think, like I said, the children might be the ones who, who are inviting us, just like John the Baptist and Jesus were, to live more fully and to experience the fullness of life and embrace a really big God who is with us through it all. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.